Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. What's been really exciting in the last couple of years is this ability for, you know, cis men who are straight and feminine being able to contribute queer men who are masculine being able to contribute queer men who are feminine and all of us are slowly (laughs) but trying to contribute to masculinity is so much deeper than what we were all taught hi my name is isaac and i am thrilled to be your host today because today's guest will illuminate so many great qualities of who we are As a trans male, James brings to us a confidence that is rooted in who he is, what he has discovered about himself, and not merely what he does. James shows us what it means to really know, I mean know, the answer to that profound question, who am I? If you want to embrace your confidence as a queer or trans person, this episode is for you. Let's take a listen. So I am the trans coach. I became the trans coach officially about two years ago. And it was something that really um, was not an intentional branding business idea. It just kind of happened because of COVID. Um, I had become a realtor about five years ago. When I transitioned, I was working in a call center and that call center did not handle my transition well. So I went to another call center and had to do kind of those, um, the unspoken costs that come with being like a part of a marginalized group. So one call center was closer to home, but they did not handle my transition well. So I had to go to a call center in a different state that was like 45 minutes away with different taxes. And so it was just really inconvenient. And when we got pregnant Uh, my wife had Addie she was making more money so I decided to stay home and um, real estate kind of just started to happen because stay home dad I needed like a side business and when we had bought and sold our house when we wanted a bigger house there were no trans realtors in the area and so I was like okay maybe if I get into that industry I can help like train some people on how to work with trans people so that I would have felt safer during our transaction. Mm -hmm. So I got into real estate and I started training people. But what I noticed happened was a lot of free emotional labor. So I was training people, you know, their brokerage, I was doing free training for the associations. And then COVID happened, and I was available on zoom. So people were just like, Hey, James, can we have you train here and there and here and there and for free? And so I was like, I can't keep doing this for free. But we also just had a new baby and I didn't want to go into houses and tour while COVID was happening. And so the training kind of took over and I started charging here and there a little bit. And I didn't want to have it just be my name because of safety reasons. I wanted to have just a little bit of a buffer of like something that people could say, oh, the trans coach versus James, you know, my full name and everything, James Mm -hmm. Barnes. And so I just looked for the handle and I was like, okay, that's not taken. I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it started to take off really fast. And so I became, I started uh, my own company and I became a corporate trainer 
and I really love it. But um, there was always a part of me that felt in the last two and a half years, like business to business is really fun and working with corporations is really fun. But I really love, and you probably understand this too, of working with people one-on-one. And so I started to pivot on social media doing coaching with um, trans individuals specifically and mostly trans men. Um, because I had a huge breakdown about three years into my transition. And so I just was like, there was so much I wish I was told. I wish my company was told this, and I wish I was told this. And so I just created the trans coach to do both of those things. So I do corporate trainings for businesses, and then I do one-on-one coaching for the individual's transition. So that's what I do and why I do it all wrapped up into one little story. Yeah. I think it's so fun to um, feel like what we're doing evolves out of that personal story. You know, mm. there's something that doesn't feel like work about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's so yeah. receptive. I always say, you know, those years of like hating myself and conversion therapy and then falling in mm. love with myself and accepting myself and, and walking people down that journey. It's just so rewarding. It really is. And I, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot in my um, one-on-one coaching and, and if people follow me on social media, they'll see it too, but is with transitioning, there is this, um, we kind of think of it as like the four pillars of a transition, like name, pronouns, surgery, hormones, like that's what you do to transition. And that's what I was told. And when I did all of those things and I still didn't feel at home in my body, I just had this complete breakdown and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, I'm doing everything to be manly, you know, like I did the hormones. I changed my name to a a masculine name and I had top surgery. Like, why am I still so sad? Why don't I feel confident? And that's kind of where the breakdown started to happen. And being able to pass along that wisdom of there's so much more depth that needs to happen in our transition. And we need to be talking about how we have completely disassociated ourselves with our own identity to survive. And then you come out as trans. It's not like all of a sudden you get that identity back. It's not like a, a graduation party where you're like, oh, here's the identity you gave up at eight <laughs> years old. Have fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to rediscover it. You have to re get to know that person. And it's, uh, I treat it like a very sacred friendship with yourself that you're rebuilding Mm -hmm. and being able to give that back. Like I can see it in people's eyes when it starts to click, like, oh, that's why the hormones didn't fix this. Or that's why the surgery didn't fill that hole in my heart or whatever. And it's because both of those things are important. You know, if you want to medically transition, that's valid. But there's also other parts of you that we get to talk about and discover and fall in love with. And it makes me really happy that there's this new generation of us that have the privilege of doing that deeper work, of being able to help other people, you know. So it's really, really, really exciting getting to do that. Yeah, absolutely. What was that falling in love with yourself like? What what Mm. needed to be awakened or what did you discover Yeah, that was, it was a really interesting time. I went basically from, you know, everything cliche masculine. I was wearing suits, think Don Draper. I was drinking a lot of old fashions, uh, you know, the suit wearing, um, just everything that was toxic 
masculinity wrapped up in one without being sexist thankfully <laughs> but everything other than that it was it was just like i'm gonna be manly and i'll have my steaks and everything like that and you know um meat and potatoes kind of cliche thing and um i was raised by my dad who's a hunter farmer you know very like he's a contractor guy's guy very gentle soul, but still very cliche. And I went through this really difficult time and realized that all the therapy I had been doing, I really wasn't showing my full self. Or when I was alone with myself, I wasn't really fully being present. And so what I did to really dive deep into getting to know myself was this practice that I um, I tell my clients to do. And uh, I don't remember where I read it, but it was not my own idea. And I try to make sure this was given to me by somebody on a blog and I don't know where I read it. But you lay down on the ground and you close your eyes and it's in a safe space and you just say to yourself, you know, James, out loud, you say, James, you're, you're safe to feel what you need to feel. Mm -hmm. And you start to kind of let yourself feel it a little bit. And you say, like, I, I think I'm feeling sad, and that's okay to feel it. And you can start to feel yourself, um, feel these emotions that you've probably been feeling for a really long time, but you've been so trained to push them down. And then if you're on testosterone on top of it, you actually have some harder times crying because of the testosterone. And so you've been blocking your emotions that way. And I started to notice how I actually did not feel safe to be alone with myself, that I had been blocking so much and blocking so many emotions. And I just started sobbing. And that was a huge moment for me to realize that like I was not being kind to myself mm -hmm. and that I needed to make sure I, I was doing practices or habits that really communicated to myself, like not only um, do I like me, but I really love me. And um, also the same of the opposite of that. I love me, but do I really like me? You know, and so like doing both of those things of what do I like? And that's when I started to notice um, I don't like drinking. It gives me a headache every time. Mm -hmm. Why do I keep doing this? And so I went dry like the first month in COVID and I've been dry since and it's been amazing. And I noticed like, I don't really like eating meat. Why am I doing this? And then I went vegan and I was like, I don't like wearing suits. Uh, so I started wearing um, people on the podcast don't see this, but I'm wearing a, a hoodie and a beanie, which is like my go-to that or a hat. And um, I just started letting myself be myself unapologetically. So, and I started realizing how much I was performing for other people. I was born and raised in a Christian home. Um, from missionary parents, and uh, they went through a time of being pastors as well. So very much so on the quote-unquote stage. People were watching us. You have to perform a certain way. You have to look a certain way. You have to do a certain thing. And so really unpacking who am I, what do I love about myself, and leaning heavily into that and not letting it be who am I as a man. We as trans individuals put so much weight on gender. I want to be, you know, manly. I want to be seen as a man. And I firmly believe from my transition, the moment I actually stopped worrying about gender, I realized who I was as a man because I was no longer worried about what a man meant to everybody else, but what me, who happens to be a man, is. And it was so much more welcoming and enjoyable for myself. And I could feel my confidence skyrocket. Mm -hmm. So that was a big one for me. 
Oh, I can imagine. Even the way that you're describing the story, it um, it just feels so um, like there's so much conviction in mm. in the process and what you discovered. One of the one of the things that I hear in all of this is the willing. It it almost feels like there was um, like you were rooted somewhere, mm. and it, it held you while other things kind of blossomed outside of you like you were really you were really confident about something mm. that maybe kind of allowed this to this identity to form do you know what that what was holding you was it confidence i think it was actually the idea that i knew there was a part of me when i was little before i knew about gender and all of those things that was a very confident happy human mm-hmm. and um I always knew I wanted to be a helper, a leader, a speaker, even at like eight or nine years old, especially in the church, you're quickly kind of categorized of how you'll contribute. And (laughs) I was groomed to to be a pastor at a very young age, even before when I was female presenting, there was like, well, you might not be a head pastor, but Mm. you'll be something because you're really good at public speaking. And so I always knew I had something in me that wanted to Um, I guess in what you said, blossom, I wanted to be able to be confident and give back and help and have this sense of um, nurturing, I wanted to be able to nurture, but you can't nurture if you're not nurturing yourself. And so I think what happened is I realized that I had been um, the best way that I could explain it was almost like, you know, talking about I'm a big metaphor person. And so the moment you did the tree, which was very interesting, actually, Isaac, um, because during that growth in my time, uh, I was very deeply depressed. And um, because I'm big on metaphors, I would actually picture myself mm. uh, having a tree inside of me growing. So it's very interesting you said that metaphor. Um, and I just would go back to how it felt like um, I was just empty. There wasn't even a well, there wasn't even a rotted out tree. It was just a void. Like I had just picked pieces of myself that would fit that looked good Mm -hmm. and when I went through this I remember I was able to visualize what I always thought for myself as a nurturer and I think that's what anchored me is I knew in my soul who I wanted to be what I was capable of and what I wanted to give back to and I held true to that for a very long time even though I had no idea how to get back to that Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to get back to my childhood joy or confidence or anything like that, I knew that there was a part of me that was um, really full of life. And I wanted to get back to that. So I think that would probably be more than anything my anchor. The second anchor uh, was truly my wife. She is not a lovey-dovey, emotional, soft person. She's very logical. And she is uh, just a brilliant balance to my my emotions and so during that time she was so good at saying you know that's really awesome you had that emotional experience but what are you going to do with that you know she was really good at asking those questions of now what like how do you lean into learning from that or what is it the tool that you can get from that you know she was really good at asking questions that helped me further in that sense the metaphor the tree growing the leaves out because I think that if you don't have the 
introspective questions being asked sometimes it can feel like really good but then it kind of just turns into fluff and you just kind of sit in that cloud of this is so fun I feel great and then you're like okay but what are you gonna do with it (laughs) and so she was really good at keeping me anchored and helping me see myself mirroring back to me without putting a pressure of what that meant you know she wasn't saying I need you to be this kind of husband she was saying what kind of husband do you actually want to be you know, she was really, really good at being a best friend. Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. My brain's very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. You what? My brain is going in like 10,000 different directions. <laughs> if I don't say this, it's going to haunt me. But um, I'm the son of two pastors as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a lot, isn't it? It's is a lot. Oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. It's so much to unpack. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um in a, in a different way, I when we talk about coming out here in the clinic, we have kind of the six phases of coming out. And one of them is reconciling the self-concept. Mm. You know, growing up, it was, I will be the straight, cis, praise and worship leader married to a woman. Mm-hmm. And that is the trajectory of my life. And then it was like, well, how will I care for them? How will I provide for them? And we kind mm-hmm. of slap on what will it look like when I get dressed and match my wife. And then when coming out, it was like this hollow space of, I don't know who I am anymore. Yes. How does this, how do I, how do I sit with other people? What do my clothes look like now? How do I express my gender identity? And I feel like you said something like, um, that I resonated with because I totally, I think I use self-deprecation as a way of keeping myself safe. Mm. If I hated the parts that would lead to rejection, then they were tamped down. No Mm. one got to see them. And then I used, then I was safe, but you know, quote unquote safe. I thought that was the safety, but it was this resensitizing to, my body and my desires Mm -hmm. and i do think there was a really profound i kind of want to land on this a little bit more but there was this really profound discovery of what does it mean to be a man Mm -hmm. and this was a beautiful part for me what does it mean what is my contribution as a queer man to manhood Mm -hmm. realizing that I got to make a contribution that like I got to contribute to manhood instead of like tainted it Mm -hmm. was a major revelation for me. What, what did you have that? And if so, what did that feel like? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think that what's been really exciting in the last couple of years is this ability for, you know, cis men who are straight and feminine being able to contribute queer men who are masculine being able to contribute queer men who are feminine and all of us are slowly (laughs) but trying to contribute to masculinity is so much deeper than what we were all taught at i am clinic and i am counsel we want you to know that we have your back Right now, we have two upcoming groups that you can join and many others coming in the next couple of months. If you find yourself with chronic pain in Colorado, there's a group for you. And no matter where you are in the world, but you'd like to join an LGBTQ group, we have one for career and job searching. This group is specifically designed for individuals in the LGBTQIA community who are currently looking for a job or looking to change jobs. 
It will be a space to process and connect with other individuals, learn job searching strategies, and how to make your search work for you. Online, you can find interest forms and all the options, like how to support my LGBTQ kiddo for parents, career jobs, LGBTQ neurodiversity, processing groups for parents, outdoor retreats, teen groups, and understanding shame. So feel free to hop online at imclinic.org, go to our groups page, and you can check out our interest form. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, I, I have this uh, kind of a cliche thing I say of um, we, a lot of trans individuals, trans men go through kind of a trans bro phase where we're like, okay, we're going to be men and it's <laughs> going to be awesome. And it's, it's not the most healthy. Um, and I'm trying to help people not do that, but they, um, society has really done a great job of telling us what they think masculinity is. For sure. And especially being raised in the church, I had a lot to unpack and that was, I think, really uh, put on blast for me because I have three sisters. Mm -hmm. um, most of my friends growing up were uh, girls. I had some guy friends, um, but they were the softer, gentler guys. You know, I, I did not really want to be friends with like all of the, the cliche masculine guys and so when I transitioned I really was kind of walking around in the dark you know trying to figure out okay what does masculinity mean I think I'm gonna grab okay I'll grab this this feels right I don't know if it feels right okay I'll grab this and we'll mix it all together and oh this is James and um I had such a uh I had such a problem about three or four years in which is you know when I hit my breaking point of none of me aligns none of this fits this is a this is all in shambles what did I do and lately I noticed a struggle or a major problem that happens uh, for trans individuals that has always been happening for cis men, but because trans men were given the ability to be female presenting for a portion of their life, we're able to see how um, femininity is treated versus masculinity. And women, um, cis women most of the time, and, you know, cis men. And I made a post about this recently, about masculinity and how actually cold it is and hard it is to exist in society when I know what it's like to be treated warm. Mm. And a lot of cis individuals, cis men wrote, oh my gosh, I have been searching for years how to put this into words. And that's literally what it feels because there's two things can be true at the same time. It can be very scary to be female presenting. You're out, you know, you're worried about your safety. All of those things are valid. But in the same sense, when you're out in an environment, you get more hugs, you're allowed to say hi to kids, you can say hi to a stranger and they'll smile back. As a man, there are a lot of rules of you don't say hi to kids, you don't say hi to strangers, you, you know, you don't smile. Um, and if you do that, either they people might think you're going to be, you know, flirting with them, or you want something from them, or you're going to follow them, because there's bad <laughs> men out there. And so, you know, two things can be true at the same time. But and those repercussions soft. You what? 
of soft man you don't get to see that very often so it's very no speculative. like why is there a soft man right here yes <laughs> yes or it's the automatic oh he's gay that's exactly. also what happens sure. and so soft men have been told to be cold and then women say you know well i don't want to be friendly with men they're cold and i'm here as the bridge is what i like to call trans people as we get to be this bridge that says well okay um it's the chicken or the egg you know <laughs> this is a you know perpetuating circle that's happening because you're telling men to be cold so you feel safe so they don't interact with you but then you're scared of them because they're cold and we have to find a middle ground mm -hmm. i don't have all the answers for that and i think a lot of it comes from men having these conversations with other men it's not women or marginalized groups job to do this but it is a conversation that needs to be happening of um we have done a disservice to masculinity by putting it in one box when it's really this deep beautiful like floral like there's just color to it and it's it's so stunning when you see masculinity in a way that is kind and welcoming and I I have this guy friend him and I are I mean literally is complete opposite he was um he's Muslim he's black he you know went through a lot of different things in his life that were difficult um and I'm over here, this trans white guy, you know, very different life that I went through things that were difficult, that were different than him. And we're best friends. And I remember the first few times getting off the phone and being like, all right, talk to you later. Love you. Bye. And he was like, oh, uh, yeah. Talk OK, love you. Love you. Bye. And now <laughs> he's just like, hey, James, I just want to call you and tell you I love you. Uh -huh. And he's a cis guy. There's the, the all of the reasons that people would say, like, he doesn't have the capacity Mm -hmm. to say I love you to another man mm -hmm. he does have that and he has you know he'll say things like well I was just working with the client and I didn't know their pronouns um I think they're non-binary but instead of just asking their pronouns James I asked everybody in the group so I didn't single them out and then I introduced him with my pronouns and I was like good for you man I'm so proud of you and he he's learning he's showing that men have the capacity to not only learn but implement and I think we have done such a, a, a judgment of women well, are just fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we were able to have these conversations that give men the confidence to be soft, to be kind, to be loving and see that as a strength, to see that as a character trait that is beneficial and contributing to society that we don't only need one set stereotype um, so that's been, I think, a very long winded answer to what you're saying of my my perspective of masculinity. It's something I'm very passionate about. Um, in the last couple of months, I've started talking about it a lot more on my social media because I have been feeling being the father of two daughters. Um, there's obviously the feminist in me. I want to raise them to be strong. But I also am very aware that there is a lot out of their control and my control of how society will treat them and how men will treat them. And I firmly believe that the only way, you know, you can only control what you can control. So I'm sitting here, I can't control how they're going to be treated or how people judge them or how men treat them. But what I can control is the conversations that I start. Mm -hmm. And masculinity is a very important conversation that affects women mm -hmm. and i want to be a part of that solution and i don't see 
men as the problem, but I see them being the product of uh, masculinity in society. And they are just as much hurt by um, toxic masculinity as women are. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I kind of think that I, I like how you said if we could teach men how to be confident in kind of the array of masculinity, I think that that confidence in part could change the world. Mm, 100%. Um, you know, like a, a cis man who says, I am confident in the way that I nurture. I'm confident in showing other men affection and that it's beautiful mm. and has something to offer. Um, I think that is, that is profound. Mm. I, I truly believe, um, you know, I remember this is a pivot, but it does align with what you say. Um, I remember reading a study that said if we could prioritize women's education, the ripple effect it would have on the world would be astronomical. If that was all we focused on for one year was making sure that every woman in the world, every little girl had an education, the world would be a different place. Um hunger would be solved. There would be all of these things. And it was an amazing article. And I remember thinking that, but recently I just was thinking if we could just focus on men being confident in their kindness, like you said, mm -hmm. the world, if we could just focus on those two things, that's it. Just mm -hmm. empowering little girls and having an education for them. And then coming to men and saying, you're allowed to be kind and soft and gentle. Mm -hmm. And that is not a emasculating thing. It is a masculine thing. It is a beautiful, stunning thing thing to do sure i can't even fathom what the world would look like if oh, just those two things were all we focused on for even two months what the world would look like um because it it ripples into literally everything i the this this need to be cold and what's interesting though isaac is so i made this post about my masculinity and i made a post about how I was treated differently. And what I found really interesting was all of the comments, not one man wrote on there anything negative about me being weak. Nobody said that's such a that's such a weak take or anything. It was all women saying, well, duh, because you're, you know, like men are monsters mm -hmm. and men are dangerous and very fair but painful judgmental things. And I thought, I'm a man being vulnerable in a space can we please just let me be vulnerable for a moment because you're showing men that it's not okay to be vulnerable because with vulnerability we'll call uh will come with this sense of we need to remind you why we're scared of you and it's that whole thing of can we have can we make space for both mm -hmm. that you're absolutely allowed to be afraid but we as men over here need mm -hmm. to be having these conversations about vulnerability mm -hmm. and still keeping in in mind and keeping space for why we have to understand that people are not going to welcome us with open arms all the time. But I still need to be able to talk to other men about what I'm experiencing so that they feel valid in it. Because when I made that post, the amount of cis men who privately messaged me, they would not comment it on the post, mm -hmm. but privately messaged me and said how depressed they were. Yeah, how sad they were that they couldn't say hi to little kids. They, you know, they wrote, I was so excited to become a dad and I haven't become a dad, but I can't say hi to little kids. So I'm just, you know, like that, that nurturing part of me just is alone. Mm -hmm. So many, so many. And I'm like, that breaks my heart because you have something to give back to society. Mm -hmm. You have something to contribute. 
but you don't feel like you can be a babysitter. You don't feel like you can work at, at a kindergarten or something like that because of what society says. So you have this nurturer in you that is just sitting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, Isaac, when you have a part of you that you know you want to give back to and you're not able to contribute in that way, you you feel lost. It's it's like right now I'm, I'm rereading Atomic Habits and James Clear says, um, confidence is when your identity and your habits align. Yeah. And so if you say I'm like right now, you say you're a morning person, but you don't wake up early in the morning, you're you're not aligning in that and you're probably not going to be confident about being a morning person. Uh, I'm raising my hand for not being a morning person <laughs> because I say I want to be a morning person. I keep not waking up early. And the same is true for men who they they know I'm a soft person, I'm a gentle person, but then their habits because of how society has made them be cold or not kind or not nurturing to youth. For sure. They no longer have confidence in who they are because they know in their soul that they're a nurturer, but they're not allowed to be. There's absolutely going to be a disconnect. And where there is a disconnect comes like depression, it becomes anxiety because your habits and your actions no longer are aligning with what you know to be true in yourself. And of course, you're going to become an angry person. Of course, you're going to be cold because you're just, you feel broken. There's a part of you that doesn't align. And so I have this very deep passion for trying to help bridge this conversation for men to be able to embrace a part of themselves that they are wandering around going, I want to give back. I, so many men I know love being a dad, but when we're out in public, they do not show that part of them. They just do the cliche, you know, sit on their phone. They won't talk to other moms. They won't do that. They'll barely interact with their kids. And then when I'm alone with them, they're fantastic dads. Yeah. And I just think like, isn't that interesting? You hide that part of you because you think you're supposed to be cold, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. In, in some way, it kind of mimics that the journey of resensitizing to your desires and your body and allowing that to kind of blossom. Mm -hmm. in a way. And I, I kind of, to your point, it's almost like some of that blossoming could happen in society and some of it can't. Mm -hmm. you know, if if we're talking about safety, it can blossom. Yeah. Maybe we need some renegades who are willing to do that. Yeah. You know, to say yeah. we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have made so many people uncomfortable, so many people uncomfortable because I am trying to use what I view. It's very interesting because in society, technically being trans is a marginalized group, but I see it as a privilege. And that was a very big very big turning point in oh, my sure. transition was when I stopped saying I want to be cis and mm -hmm. saying I'm really proud to be trans. Mm -hmm. And I still talk to people who will say, I just wish I was cis. And I'll say, okay, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Let's oh. unpack that. And I get to, and they'll say, well, don't you? And I'll say, no, I love being trans. And this is why. And you can see their eyes shift. It still makes me emotional to this day because nobody told me that I, and even other trans individuals, mm -hmm. When I started transitioning, all I had was these cliche trans men on social media who most of them were bodybuilders. They were, you know, the very cliche men, perfect top surgery scars, like, or they didn't even have top surgery scars. They did the the um, inward one. And so they just had perfect chests. And so I thought that's what I needed to transition was to fit and look exactly like a cis man. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to say, I see the gift I was given as a uh, female presenting for 26 years. And mm -hmm. 
what I call like being a spy. Basically, I was given all of this knowledge and I get to now as the man that I am, relay that knowledge and say emotional things. Mm -hmm. I really lean into that privilege when I'm in a space and asking men vulnerable questions and being that kind of person who in a group, I will be the first to cry. And it makes women very uncomfortable as a man sure. that I'm crying. And even if they know I'm trans, I can tell that they like look around. They're like, oh, this makes me so uncomfortable. And I'm like, you're going to have to feel it. <laughs> um, you know, and so I I really enjoy kind of like you said, being that renegade of I'm going to come in and I'm going to I'm going to unapologetically be myself as a man and show you that I can have friendships with women without flirting, mm -hmm. that I can respect women, that I can raise uh, epic daughters who are going to be really, really strong and soft and all of the the characteristics that they want to be, I want mm -hmm. to empower them to be. And having a wife who is my equal and sometimes able to outshine me in ways and i'm like oh i gotta learn from her and this is you know eager for me to learn from her versus this is humiliating to my manhood you know these are the things that i want to show people that this is normal this is actually what a normal <laughs> marriage looks like it's equal um those are the things that i'm really excited about because i have cis guy friends who i can see are adapting from friendships with me and then i get to learn from them Okay, so you were male presenting your whole life. What did you learn? Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I never would have thought of it that way. And I'm able to see where I have blinders on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I never would have thought of it from that perspective. Or, oh my gosh, you struggled with that. I did too. That's so interesting that people from two different walks of life had the same struggle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being able to have that, um, yeah, just that the, the experience that comes with being trans mm -hmm. is very empowering when you're able to look at it uh from the lens of you know privilege or just more than more than privilege just tool providing i was given a lot of tools that i want to work with you know and i don't want to see that as something i want to hide mm -hmm. which at the beginning of my transition i thought i was supposed to hide them you know and, and i know a lot of people who still feel that way yeah i think one of the the liberating pieces for me was thinking that um straight cis men didn't have a blend of masculinity mm. and femininity of strength yeah. and nurturing and so it was like they're only cold they're only strong they're only like on the extreme ends of this yeah. type of masculinity so how do i like shut down and smite out all of the blend that i have yes and i met michael who's one of my best friends and he was this like just this wonderful straight cis man who demonstrated his blend and it was like wait mm. a second he had, he has that yes <laughs> and it was kind of like meeting the friends that he had and all of them were expressing their blend and it was like yes oh my god i my blend is my manhood mm. and how do i let that become and integrate that into my masculinity but it was this really profound like they don't have this diversity within them like I do. So how do I shut it down? And it's and mm. hopefully that freedom of saying, no, this is within all of us, even even cis women. Yeah, you know, absolutely. This idea of you get to demonstrate your array too, and please, because we yes. need. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is so 
um, brilliant. And, and it's so true because um, one of the things that I really, my long-term goal is to become, I really want to be more of a keynote speaker, motivational speaker. And one of my passions to talk about is literally what you just said, Isaac, of this isn't just a queer thing or a trans thing. This is for cis women. This is for cis men. We are all told you need to, you know, what I say is when people are um, younger and they're coming out as trans, society will say like, nope. And you start to kind of sever your head from your body to fit into this box society wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And I say it as trans people because that's normally the niche that's, you know, I'm talking about. But that I that's so true for queer kids across any realm Mm -hmm. it's true for women who cis women who are wanting to be more masculine and Mm -hmm. they're told no you need to sit and be a lady it's the same thing for men who want to be emotional and kind and are cis and straight and they say no you need to fit into a box all of us are told that you need to fit into a box and i truly believe everybody has the opportunity to go through a transition mm-hmm. ours in our you know transition happens to be about our gender and unpacking the gender we were told we were to the gender we know we are to be true mm-hmm. but i think everybody goes through a transition of what was the box that i was put into that does not fit me and how do i find who I am with no boxes, who am I as this, you know, whether it's this flourishing tree or um, this beautiful garden or whatever it might be for somebody, who are you outside of that box? And what I really want to be able to do, you know, as I, I get to hopefully become that, that speaker is speak on that exact topic of what did I learn from my transition? And I, how can I help you whether you're trans or not, go through your own transition mm-hmm. of self-discovery because society does a very good job of putting people in these stereotypical boxes that just smother them. Sure. And then we look at them and we're angry that they're cold mm-hmm. or that they're um, whatever word it is. And we go, why are you like that? And then we as people go, you made me this way. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did I did the performance. I did the performance and you're mad at me that I did it well. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And so I think that's so brilliant that, that you bring up that point of it's not just um queer individuals, it's it's and 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 how brilliant, um, not even brilliant, how life-changing that Michael just embracing a part of himself gave you the gift an unspoken gift for you to embrace yourself and then you being yourself has probably given other men and people an unspoken gift Mm -hmm. to be yourself it's this continuous um you know ripple effect Mm -hmm. that really when you're unapologetically yourself it really does empower other people it's not just this one happening in a vacuum experience but it really allows other people to thrive and grow too and so the more we can help other people do it it, it's inevitable that a spiral effect will happen absolutely yes i i the way that i might talk about this and this is kind of a little um passion place for me 
as a Mexican American with some indigenous blood running through me, I find that we there's the idea of like social equity or systemic equity, making sure that everybody mm. has access to the resources that they need is incredibly important, right? But taking that mm-hmm. equity in adulthood, as now we're interacting as adults um, and weaving in and out of like queer spaces in the heterosexist communities and so forth and so on in our jobs. But this idea of what is relational equity, and I think the relational mm. equity that I like to teach my clients about is to say, equality says, yeah, you have a space at my table. We're all equal. So you can sit at my table, but I'm going to cook. Relational equity, mm. in my opinion, says we all deserve to be at this table and we all need to contribute to the recipe. Because if I cook with only my spices, this recipe isn't going to be nearly as good unless we all contribute. And I think empowering the queer community to say your blend, your spices, your diversity is so necessary um, as a way of participating in our evolution, our expansion, our blossoming as a society. And I think that that is just so, so, so um, important for queer and trans people to know. I love that. I love that you're speaking my language with metaphors. It's so much fun when I get to talk <laughs> to other people like metaphors. Um, because I think that when you have, like you said, the recipes, I love food. And so I was born and raised in LA, Los Angeles. A lot of food, a lot of culture, uh, you know, just so much culture. And I moved up to the um, Pacific Northwest to a very, very small town. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of culture. And there was this almost like a deprivation of culture, truthfully. And I felt it in my soul. I felt lonely. I felt, which is ironic because I was in an almost all white town. Like, you would think like, oh, there's all these people that look like me. But growing up in a town where there weren't a lot of people that looked like me, it was a blend. It was beautiful. And I felt at home at that. And I got to learn from other people. And there were all of these tables full of all of these amazing meals. And it was wonderful, figuratively and literally. (laughs) And then moving up here, I could feel the depression set in very quickly of where is the really deep beautiful mexican food or the indian food the the you know the good like hearty naan and where's you know the the just all of it that i just missed and i think that that metaphor you said hit home so much because i've lived in both worlds of literal food recipes where you can feel the difference of this is a beautiful environment where people are contributing and sharing like Mm -hmm. that was it it was like i was you know on a street where i was like the only white kid and nobody was like well you can't eat with us because you're the white kid you know you're not a part of our culture they were like come on you know james have this like you know i remember one of my favorite memories is a mom just making me a dish everybody had already ate Mm -hmm. and i come over after dinner and she sat me down and made me this beautiful dish and um and the veggies and the naan and the garlic and it was just i still i was like eight or nine years old and i still it's one of the most core memories in my life and it was because she shared something that was so nourishing and kind and she saw me Mm -hmm. and 
to her, it was literally just feeding the neighbor kid because I'm, you know, her kid's friend and she uh -huh. is a nurturer. So she's like, he can't leave hungry. So we're going to feed him. But to me, it was this deep sacred moment in my life. And I think that what you're saying, Isaac, is that type of sacred exchange of we need to come together and have this, you know, whether it's like this conversation that fills our soul, that is maybe we're not having a meal together, but we're sharing wisdom and life lessons and the seasoning of our life mm -hmm. and what have contributed to who we are as people, or it is literally doing, you know, meals and breaking bread together. But it's this act of saying, I want to have sacred moments with other people. And I don't want to just be the leader at the head of the table saying, this is my table and you'll eat what I make. Right. You're allowed to have a chair at the table, but you'll still eat what I make. But it's this equal sacred, sacred sharing, mm -hmm. whether it's a table full of trans people or a blend of trans and cis and non-binary individuals or different races or whatever it might be, the more we can get to this level of, what is it you're eating? I want to know what it is. Like, what are you doing? I want to share you this beautiful recipe my grandma passed on with me. And maybe that recipe is a story from her life or it's a real recipe or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. This exchange that we can have in society of, it's not just equality. It's not just this like quote unquote equal moment, but this true blend mm -hmm. of, Kind of like even just the simple moment of seeing Michael, you know, Michael was sharing kind of his life with you is like, well, this is who I am as a blend of a person. Mm -hmm. And you going, I didn't even know that it could exist. Right. You know, it's that sense of I didn't even know those spices could go together. And then you taste right. for me, I think it was like tikka masala is what she made me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> who knew this could yeah. be a meal? And to right. this day, I still remember it, like sitting there and eating it. And those moments where you see something that you never thought could go together, whether it's um, a clothing style. I remember the very first time I bought a pair of baggy jeans mm -hmm. and I had seen guys wear them my whole life and I wanted a pair and I finally could go and I went in the dressing room and I vividly core memory looked in the mirror and saw myself wearing baggy clothes and I never thought of what it would actually look like on me. Yeah. And that moment, and I get to share that moment with other guys and they're like, that's so funny. I never would have thought about like the first time you got to wear guy clothes and they have this empathy, like, oh, that's so cool. James got to have that moment. Yeah. And, you know, talking about it or I'll ask guys the first time they ever heard their dad say, I love you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not something I ever experienced. I had to worry about hearing that. But for some of my cis guy friends, they've only heard it once or twice from their dad. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about that. How did that make you feel? You know, those are the very subtle nuanced moments of life, but ah, they're just so full. They're so good. Sure. Does that kind of align with what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think I like talking about it. It's just kind of a little bit um, a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but I love saying I want to be decorated by the city I live in. You know, That's and a good think, one. Mm. yeah, the same thing too. Like I want to be decorated by the people that I bring into my life. I want to learn that mm. or that way of being silly, that confidence. I want to taste the spices because so um, I think mostly because I've realized and I've fallen in love with how cool my spices are. And it's like, if mine are this good, how good are yours? And how good are yours? Yeah. And that's kind of like this way of, it feels like a different way of 
respecting and appreciating not only diversity, but inherent value. Mm. To say, I, I have fallen in love with myself so much. Now I can see the inherent value in, in you and in other people. Yeah. And I want to, I want to get to know that. Yeah. I think it's so powerful. Yeah. I love that. If you don't write a book called Decorated by the People Around Me, I will be very irritated. <laughs> okay. That is just a brilliant book title. <laughs> that is, a, and it's a brilliant metaphor. It's interesting you said you fell in love with the spices of yourself. I think as a, a white individual, there's, you know, we joke about how white people lack spices. Mm -hmm. um, but it is something where I love cooking that I always or I often had felt insecure as a person making food and being like, oh, do, do I really know how to cook, you know, and all of this. And I felt this like cooking is like one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. And I started to really feel this um, insecurity on social media because it's kind of that easy joke, you know what I mean? And I, I started to get insecure, like, oh, do I not know how to cook? And I started to forget my roots of where I came from and all the people I had learned from sure. and the people I had learned from in my family who are white, who can cook. And I really had to go back to, I know myself. Yeah. I know that those are jokes. Some of those are very valid jokes because <laughs> um, I've had some cooking <laughs> people that are bland. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it, it goes back to, I know myself. And it's the same as, you know, what people would say about me of, oh, you're just a guy and being like, no, I will not let you stereotypically put me in a corner and have you write my book for me. Right. I am going to write it. I'm going to know myself. I'm going to know what stereotypes are valid for other people and maybe not eat their food. <laughs> uh, but I'll listen to their stories because uh, they maybe don't know what spices are. Um but I know what's true for me and I know who I am as a person. And I, that has been a really interesting um, journey for myself, mm -hmm. trying to figure out who I am as an individual that I think in our society, especially with social media, does a lot of categorizing. Uh, well, you're just like a, a white guy, James, and being like, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And that does come with privilege, but also who am I besides just those two identities? And who am I deeper than that? Um, and I really honestly never felt that mm -hmm. until I had kids and I started thinking people are going to tell them they're just white girls. Mm. And that was devastating to me because I see them as these deep, colorful tornadoes of people that just are <laughs> wild. And I think, oh, it's heartbreaking to have them diminish down to just white girls mm -hmm. right. and how can I give them that empowerment to feel that flavor of life, to be able to also respect other people's flavor of life mm -hmm. and to listen and learn and exchange. But yeah, that was definitely an interesting thing for me. Um, watching, you know, as a, a parent, you have all of these new insecurities and it helps you realize like, oof, I hadn't unpacked that. <laughs> now I have to unpack something new because I'm worried about it for them. And I realize I'm actually projecting onto them something that I haven't unpacked. Does, you know what I mean? I know that was, you said a rabbit hole earlier and I love rabbit holes. So like, does that make sense though? Oh, it totally does. Yeah. As yeah. a therapist, I'm always like, okay, what is my attachment style? And I need to unpack it before I have kids. Before I, so yeah. I hear you. I totally know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah. Mm, well, this was great. Any anything that you want people to hear? Anything that you were hoping they would get out? Um, encouragement for the trans community. Yeah, I think you know one of the questions I had the email pulled up. Tips I might or tips I might recommend. Um, you know, if I was able to pass one thing along to trans youth, it would be that do everything in your power to focus on what you can control. I often hear we need to protect trans youth and I wish I could have like a Sharpie and just like, like cover that up and be like empower trans youth Mm -hmm. Um, because protecting trans youth. Yes, that's great. But um, there are many rooms where no adult will be in Mm -hmm. and they can't be protected. So how do we make, trans youth feel empowered and youth in general you know marginalized individuals um youth who are coming from poverty i was born and raised in poverty and um there were so many things that i wish i was taught on how to be empowered and who i was and not insecure and and see that um as a way to advocate for myself um so I wish that I was taught at a young age to focus on what I can control. A lot of times people will reach out to me and say, uh, I just, I wish I could transition. My parents won't let me. And I'll say, there's certain things that you're able to do mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with names, pronouns, hormones, and surgery. And that's an aspect of your transition, but you have every ability to control getting to know that young man inside of you. Mm -hmm. and embracing him and loving him and advocating for him within the realm and space that you're able to do within the resources you have. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't change how frustrating and painful your environment is, Mm -hmm. but I do not want you to feel controlled in a hundred percent by somebody else because you absolutely are in control of certain aspects and lean heavily into the aspects you are able to control Mm -hmm. and it's something that I've had to do as a parent because there are so many things I can't control with my my kids literally sure they're toddlers and five-year-old I I don't know why I act like I can control anything (laughs) in my (laughs) life with them they are spitfires and they will do whatever they want and having that process of I literally can't control how they feel. I can't control their sadness, their joy. I can't control my five-year-old going into a school and what a terrible person might do there. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do I focus on what I can control so that I can still be a parent that is loving and kind and open and not full of fear? Mm-hmm. And that is something that I wish I could literally kind of like what we talked about, about like education for women or empowering men to be kind. Mm-hmm. If I could just help youth understand, focus on what you can control. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is meditating for me. That, that was that anchor kind of going back to that tree. Meditation was absolutely anchoring me during that time. And it still anchors me, but that ability to sit quietly with myself for the first time in my entire life was life-changing and maybe it's art or writing journaling reading um whatever it is lean into that and Mm -hmm. rediscover who you are outside of what your parents are telling you to be true Mm -hmm. because it's it's going to be hard but if you can remind yourself they don't know me they did did my headphones just turn off 
No. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you can lean into that, for me, that was the life-changing moment. That was when, even though as an adult, I transitioned at 26, when I realized, oh my gosh, there is so much I can't control about my transition. Like, I went bald. Uh, I'm 5'7". I wish I was a taller guy. Um, I have wider hips. I wish I had narrow hips. There's all of these things that trans people will say. I wish this. I wish this. I wish this. And it's heartbreaking because it's inevitable that you will be feeling that depression tenfold mm-hmm. when you're focusing on what you can't control. Like you will never, I will never be six foot. <laughs> it's like, I will never be six foot. And if I focus on being a short guy, mm-hmm. I will be sad about being a short guy. Or I can just be like, ah, tomato, tomato. I can't, <laughs> this is my eye. But can I be a man of integrity? Mm-hmm. Ah, I can control that. Can I be a kind and gentleman? Yes. Can I be a man who meditates? Yes. I can do those things and I will do them to the best of my ability. And then all of a sudden I feel empowered. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be something that I would definitely, yeah. uh, a tip or a tool that I would, I would hope I could pass along. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> thank you for for having me on i love these conversations they're so filling to my soul I, they just i think getting to talk to other adults who care so passionately about um kind of bringing all the recipes to the table and helping youth and and empowering the queer community is just it's so exciting mm-hmm. very very exciting I agree. yeah we have a lot of work to do, but it's fun to do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's more fun when we know we're not alone. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just so we have it, uh, yeah. the trans coach, TikTok and Instagram. Yep. So TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I'm getting back on YouTube and any basically anything and everything. So LinkedIn, anything. Um that you can think of social media, it'll be the trans coach. And that's where you can find me. My website, excuse me. Um, my website's the trans coach, uh, com. My email is the trans coach at gmail.com. And I do the social media aspect, uh, the coaching, and then I do the corporate training. And I didn't really go into the corporate training too much, but the corporate training is a workshop. So it's a one hour workshop. So if the, if anybody listening has like, an ERG or an employee resource group where they're looking to have somebody come in and um, help build empathy in the workspace for trans and non-binary individuals. That's what my workshop is. And I've gotten to work for like all sorts of awesome companies. And then um, the keynote and the motivational speaking as well. They can all contact me at thetranscoach.com or thetranscoach at gmail.com. I knew that I was different at age five, and when puberty turned on as a freshman in high school, my worst fears of the time came true. I was the lead in the school musical and found myself shirtless in the dressing room with other boys. I remember standing in that pale brick room with other freshman boys laughing while my heart sank. I was officially attracted to them, and I could not do anything about it. Up until that moment, I tried to hide anything that made me queer. I knew that if anyone could tell I was queer, I would face the inevitable rejection and slander. So, self-denial was nothing new. 
But what was new was the layer of self-hatred I felt in that very moment. I not only wanted to hide my blend of masculinity and femininity, but now I started to hate it. I was in misalignment. With misalignment, it will be very uncomfortable because we'll want to hide from people and relationships. We won't want to be seen. And in this relational context, you may find yourself resentful at wanting connection because you despise it. And this has to be painful. Of course, we will find that we are checking out of our practices of healthy relational intimacy because we can't trust safety. Safety has left us too exposed. So we come to believe that we are not valuable because we possess inherent value, but because we perform for others. This leads us to adopt guilt and obligation as the glue that keeps us tied to those we love. It is natural, then, that we will be flooded with shame because, quote-unquote, I fail everyone. It took me many years working with a therapist, going to grad school, and surrounding myself with loving, unconditionally loving friends to learn that my blend was not only welcome, but it was necessary. They enjoyed who I am and wanted my authenticity to show up whenever they were around me. At first, that type of being seen and that kind of liberty was scary. Thankfully, I got used to it over time. Their sacred friendships truly allowed me to fall in love with my spices and my blend. As we're sitting here at the beginning of 2023, while all of New Year's resolutions abound, I want to throw out a thought prompt that comes from James. Who are you when you are unapologetically so? Let me break this down into maybe some bite-sized pieces. What is your authentic disposition? Let's start slow. We discover this as we ask one tiny question with one massive answer. What do I want in this moment? Could be a nap, a meal, to laugh, to rest, or find energy in your city. Sticking close to this question and its answers will lead you to the second question. What context will be built around you as you follow your own desires? How do your relational, professional, sexual, financial contexts evolve as you prioritize your own desire, your own happiness, your own fulfillment, or your own satisfaction? I don't pitch these thought prompts your way because I am biased towards selfishness or want you to become a narcissist, but because as we allow our own desires to be our guide, we will not only find the confidence in who we are and what we want and what we can do, but we also establish a sense of humility because we do this within and in front of those who love and cherish us. In this arena, we slowly discover that people do love us because they too respect and champion our comfort, our authenticity, and our health. And when they respect us in this way, it is way too easy to respect and cherish theirs as well. Another hidden benefit to tapping into your own authenticity is that we can easily identify our people-pleasing performances as a way of catching ourselves so that we can pivot back into prioritizing those important questions. What do I want in this moment and what will it help me build? 
leaving our authenticity will become a very conspicuous act, allowing us to see with more distinction exactly what our facades look and feel like. I love it when James said, the moment I stopped worrying about gender, I realized who I was as a man. This is the type of confidence that comes from within. It is rooted in conviction that I get to be who I am rather than who I should be. I love that we are talking about this type of confidence more and more, but I want to plunge into this into one deeper layer. Yes, please wear the clothes, take the hormones, and choose to create the lifestyle that leaves you most truly yourself. And just as much as self-expression can be scary and liberating, so can taking emotionally intimate risks. Can you be the relational person you were designed to be in front of those who are safe and trustworthy? Sure, we can wear the bombastic clothing, but can we also be deeply vulnerable in our love lives? Can we identify the spaces we'd rather protect from another rejection, more pain, or another round of criticism, and yet still choose to let someone in? Doing so might just be the way we heal. And although someone can love your style but not know you, it is my hope that someone loves your style and your gender expression, but underneath all the important ways we show up in the world, you are also experienced, seen, and cherished for the relational being that you are. Here might be some thought prompts to chew on for a little while. What does your blend bring to the table? How does your blend inform us of the expanse of gender as opposed to how a limited understanding of gender informs you of who you get to be? And as our guest said, we are all born with a set of desires that are dying to be unleashed, expressed, and to decorate the world around you. And your authenticity is the agent that makes this possible. What are your spices, and how do you know that they are necessary? How open are you to being decorated, and just as important, how might people be decorated by your love your presence, and your self-acceptance. Do you realize how unique and powerful you truly are? One of the things that strikes me is James's ability to want to offer what he has learned about authenticity to the world, as though discovering himself was not only a reaction to being part of the trans community, but as an excitement of falling in love with himself. Like a version of the good news that needs to be spread, he found the beauty in being himself, the liberating of being himself, and he wants all to know about that liberty. This type of self-acceptance is a major gift to the LGBTQIA community, and I believe that as we integrate our inherent value into our lives, it is a major gift to the world. I am so thankful that he has shown us what this looks like. James, thank you for sharing with us not only your intellect and your passion, but also your journey from self-denial to self-loving. I have personally taken your power and courage to find your inherent value to heart, using it as a reminder to find the same within me. Until next time. Mwah. 
Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.